0: One of the choir members was joking with me that today it's going to feel like I'm preaching to the choir, and all of you have been promoted to the choir. Uh, obviously, it's uh, uh, the weather does play a role in different things, and of course, there are others who are dealing with some uh, other issues of uh, f- losing family members, so I am so glad you are here today. It is a blessing to be able to worship with you, to be able to celebrate the presence of the Lord. And uh, actually, I want to start with a little bit of a a story from Greek mythology. Maybe it's uh, just to kind of introduce you a little bit. I had Richard share a passage earlier from Matthew chapter 4. Kind of keep that in mind as I share this with you. There's a guy, his name is Tantalus, and he's a character who basically he was a king who was found guilty of revealing the secrets of the gods to mortal men. As a punishment, he was placed in uh, the river Hades, and in this river, the water came up to his chin, but basically it'd never go any higher. Um, the water, whenever he wanted to drink, it would begin to recede. In addition, directly above him was some fruit, and it was delicious, beautiful fruit Anytime he would reach out to get to the fruit, the fruit would again retract and he would be unable to ever satisfy the need that was there. Uh, To him, this became somewhat of a version of hell. Many of us sometimes will go through a kind of hell because when we think we see something that might satisfy us, we try to reach it, but it never truly seems to do the trick. You see, the meaning of the story of Tantalus is that you may be able to see see success and prosperity and power, but without a true relationship with God, you will never truly be satisfied. Satisfaction will always be just out of your reach. At the heart of the Christian life is the word intimacy. God desires, he wants an intimate relationship with his people. God is not interested in your programs or even in your performance as much as he is interested in intimacy with you. Many people will stand before the judgment seat of God one day and have a list of things that they have done, yet they will hear from God, away from me, for I never knew you. It won't necessarily be just about the things that you did right or the things that you did wrong, but it will simply be about the relationship that you had with him. Now, don't get me wrong. We are still a holiness church, and I want to challenge you as the body of Christ to live holy lives. But listen to me. It's not what you do as much as who you know. Understand what I mean there. I still want you to do good i want you to live in a way that honors god but you must know him above all else you see you can do an awful lot of good and still end up one day in hell but if you genuinely have a relationship an intimate relationship with jesus christ you will do good you will begin to walk in holiness but the heart of this is the relationship that we must have with god You know, relationships come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, but the one thing that is common in all relationships is the fact that if you want a relationship to flourish, you must feed your relationship. You must communicate. You must put time and effort into that relationship. Consider your childhood relationships or even a marriage relationship. If you do not feed those relationships, they will eventually die. You know, the people you grew up with that you thought, you know, we're always going to be friends, we're always going to be close, and it's been two years since you talked to them, that relationship is not what it once was. The same is true with regard to spiritual relationships. There are many things that can get in the way of your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We get busy, we get distracted, we have our own agendas, we have too much to do, and the next thing that we know as we find our relationship with Christ has grown silent. And when this happens, our relationship with God needs to be infused again with a fresh power, a fresh connection. Several weeks ago, I used a walkie-talkie to demonstrate this with you. Remember the walkie-talkie illustration where basically I held the walkie-talkie and, uh, in, in the use of a walkie-talkie, it can be an incredible blessing as long as it's used properly. You have some people who, they push the button and they continue to hold the button even after they have finished speaking and you try to respond, but you never can because they won't let go of the button. Then you have other people who, they try to push the button and immediately stop, start talking, but they've already let go of the button. So basically, you have no idea what they're trying to say uh, It is a great way to communicate, but I want you to understand that it still must be done in the right way. Today, I will use a wireless phone. Now, this is a cell phone, but it's just kind of a symbol of what we are talking about here. This is an incredibly convenient item when we have, you guys know the cordless phones you have at your house? Uh, uh, You can hang them on the wall. They don't really have to be attached to anything to be able to work, but at some point, you got to attach it. See, you can walk... All throughout your house and you can stay connected. In fact, I can get all kinds of things done and never have to go back to the the base of the phone. However, there's a problem. If I stay on the phone long enough or if I have laid the phone down for a time and I fail to reconnect it to the base where it charges, then the battery will eventually die. The result is that when other people call, they cannot get through. And when you want to connect with someone else on the other end, even in case of an emergency, you cannot do so. But there's good news. Typically, in such a scenario, it doesn't mean that your phone has become useless to you. It's still of value, but you're going to need to reconnect it first to be able to use it the way that it was intended. Some of us have been so busy doing our own thing with our cordless spirituality, that we have lost our ability to communicate with God. Certainly we know that he is still there, but he seems so far away, almost like Tantalus and his fruit, unable to reach what is right in front of him. Well, the time has come for us to once again reconnect with the source of our power, which is Jesus Christ. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the book of Matthew, in chapter 9, verse 15. He is still with his disciples, but he knows that the time is coming that he will no longer be with them. Consider that while he is with them, everything that they do is based out of their intimate relationship with him. They listen to him speak. They are involved with him. They watch him as he performs miraculous works. They see his incredible love and his passion. He gives them power. Remember, eventually he'll send out 70 disciples to go and to do incredible miraculous works. He gives them faith as he calms the storms or feeds thousands of people. He gives them wisdom as is confirmed when Peter and John will later be arrested. And as they stand before the religious ruling council, the only thing that can be noted is they noted that these men had been with Jesus. But the time would come when Jesus would no longer be with them. This is what it says in Matthew 9, verse 15. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. You see, when intimacy with God would be lost, the need to reconnect would arise with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus notes that it is through fasting that such intimacy would be restored. It is through this practice that the physical takes a backseat. And the spiritual is brought into focus. Now, this is especially valuable when it seems that the phone has been off the hook for a long period of time. Uh, At times, I think that um, maybe we misunderstand. Actually, we're a little bit fearful of this practice of fasting. It's not something that we talk about often. Obviously, over the past couple weeks, I've shared with you a little bit about some of the disciplines of the Christian life. I talked about how valuable it is for us to spend time in prayer, how valuable it is for us to spend time in God's Word. Uh, Those are two items that have been talked about by pastors for many decades, even centuries. But for some reason, we have moved away from talking about what fasting is really about. Now, I understand that there are many reasons why people might fast. In the Gospels, we see Jesus sending out the disciples to heal and to cast out demons. On one particular occasion, they run into a child that they want to be able to touch, and there's a demon that's inside this child, and they want to cast out the demon, but they're unable to, and they become frustrated, and Jesus is brought into the equation. Of course, Jesus can do anything, but he explains to them that this type of spirit can only come out through prayer and fasting. At other times, we'll fast as an act of repentance. Deuteronomy chapter 9 tells us of an occasion when Moses fasted from both food and water for 40 days, simply as an act of repentance for the Israelites. Some will fast for wisdom or in preparation for something that is coming in the near future. There are many reasons why people will fast. But the greatest purpose is to simply reconnect or to draw near to our heavenly Father. When We we even see Jesus doing this in Matthew chapter 4. Again, this is the passage that I had Richard read earlier. It wasn't that he was no longer intimate with the Father, but he needed to prepare himself. He was going to have to deal with all kinds of junk in the next three and a half years. And he would need that intimate relationship with the Father to thrive if he were to walk faithfully through this journey. I want to look at the passage one more time from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, obviously, that story goes on, and we see at least two more temptations that are discussed here within this passage. My intention today is not as much to focus on the temptations that came, but rather what was God's purpose and plan for this. According to this passage, there are a few things that we must know about fasting, and the first one is this. It is something that God desires for us. A great practical example of this is when you see a couple that goes on a honeymoon. The purpose is to get away, to spend intimate time with your new spouse. In other words, you wouldn't want to bring one of your fishing buddies with you on your honeymoon, Instead, in this very special time together, a husband and wife have the opportunity to establish bonds that should last for the rest of your lives. But you typically will do that as a couple. You do that together. There is an intimacy that is present. I would tell you that I believe God desires such intimacy with his bride, the church. In Jesus' case, we're told that he is led by the Spirit. Now, what he has led to seems a little bit odd to me. We know from verse two that he fasts during this time, but according to verse one, he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, do you really think that he was led out there solely for the purpose of being tempted by the devil? Last week, we looked at the Lord's prayer where Jesus says that we should pray these words lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one now that seems somewhat contradictory with what happens here in this passage to Jesus he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil let me suggest to you that it was never it was never about a desire for temptation Instead, it was about drawing near to the Father as he prepared for his earthly ministry. But it was also clear that he was putting himself in a position that would naturally create an environment for temptation to occur. So while it's clear that it is God's will for you to fast, it is also clear that it won't be easy. Think about the logic behind this, just the logic behind why he would be tempted. When are you most vulnerable? For most of us, it's when we're tired. It's after a long day's worth of work. It's after you become really hungry. I know my kids become very grumpy when they get tired and when they get hungry. We respond more quickly or with an inappropriate tone of voice. We get an attitude that we wouldn't normally have. All kinds of addicts have struggled for years with this. I think especially of those who struggle with sexual addictions. Statistically speaking, an individual is far more likely, far more likely to struggle with an addiction addiction to pornography or to develop an inappropriate intimate relationship with another individual at night than in the morning. Now, maybe you say, well, that's because they're working in the morning or that's because they've got things they have to get done I don't, I don't want to get into all the details as to, to why that happens. I'm just telling you that it's really hard to argue with this idea. When you get tired and you get weak, sometimes you make poor choices. Temptation comes. It's not an excuse, but it's a reality. Fasting can be very, very challenging. But it also can be of great value. I will tell you what it does look like. In Jesus' case, it meant solitude, and often it will require the same of us. There's a great value in getting alone with God, leaving the distractions behind. There's great value in unplugging from the routine and from the world around us. It allows us to refocus on things that often get pushed to the side or into the background, like our relationship with God. Remember the image of a young couple on a honeymoon, it's an opportunity for us to simply be alone with one another. We are the bride of Christ. That means he desires almost that honeymoon experience with us, where he can be intimate with you and with me. Something else that, will, that fasting will always include is sacrifice. In many cases, we're talking about food. Now, certainly that's the manner in which Jesus fasted as we're told that he became hungry. Honestly, just the thought of fasting for 40 days from food makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It's an incredible sacrifice, primarily because we eat all the time. In fact, for most of us, we rarely eat because we're hungry. Now, we may say that we're hungry, but most of us eat because it's lunchtime. Or because I just walked past the refrigerator and surely there's something in there that I desperately need. For most of us, we don't eat when we're hungry. We simply eat because the food is there. It's one of the reasons why one of the highest, um, statistically speaking, one of the most common resolutions made every year is to lose weight. It's because we eat too much. But of course, food isn't the only way to fast. Some will fast from television or from social media or even sleeping, choosing to wake up earlier intentionally to pray. There are all these different things that people love that we could easily lay aside in order to better focus on God. But let's just address this one from food for a moment. What if every person in this church chose to fast by skipping one single meal per week? What if we did so once per day even? How different would our church look? Now, I know we probably would be a little bit thinner to begin with because we skipped a meal every once in a while. But even more than that, we would be a people that if we genuinely used fasting as an opportunity to draw near to God, we would be more intimately aware of his leading in our lives. How strong would your relationship with God be if you simply chose to practice this Act of fasting. The final thing that we see when we talk about fasting is that it will redirect our attention, basically from self to God. A little over a week ago, I had the opportunity to go to a nearby nursing home. It's in Anderson. Uh, I will tell you, it's probably one of the nicest nursing homes that I've ever been in. Uh, it doesn't even smell like a nursing home. You walk in, and it's it's beautiful, and. Um, I was asked to come and to speak, so basically once a week they have a pastor who comes in and preaches, and it was my week to to do it, so um, I get in there, and we're singing some hymns, and tell you the truth, I really love uh, this environment, being able to do stuff like that, Um, but it gets really exciting sometimes depending on who is there in the group. Um, I made the mistake, I stood up in front of everybody, and I, I simply said, is it okay if I pray with you guys? Well, of course, several of them, yeah, that's, that's great, except the one lady in front who says, I'm not a guy, because I said, you guys. Uh, so she had a little issue with that, and of course, I just laughed, and I changed it to y'all, and she said, I'm not from the South either. <laughs> All right, well, you're living in the South, so I'm going to call you y'all, and she said, Okay. <laughs> Then I had the lady in the second row, and she was probably the most entertaining lady that I have seen in a long time. She is sitting next to, I assume, her husband, because she's holding his hand the entire time. And during the hymns, I look over at her, and she is looking right at me, and she is mouthing these words, you're very good looking. (laughs) I gave the the little smile and a, a nod, and I went back to singing, I looked back over, and she's looking at me again. She says, you're very good looking. (laughs) So I replied that time, and I I said, thank you. And all of a sudden, her next statement, still mouthing the words to me, where do you live? (laughs) Of course, my response was not here. (laughs) I will tell you that that lady needed to redirect her attention, her focus, for the moment. Here we are singing beautiful hymns about God, and here she is. She's talking about me, and I don't know if she was uncomfortable, but I know I was. (laughs) It would seem that she needed to redirect her attention that day. Well, fasting is an opportunity for us to redirect our attention off of ourselves, and on to Jesus Christ. What if we truly did that, where we didn't just seek to satisfy our own wants and desires, but rather we sought to satisfy His desire to bring joy and pleasure to Him? What if we chose to give up a meal tomorrow, and instead of eating, we sought The Lord, during that time, God, reveal yourself to me during this next hour. God, help me to sense your Spirit's presence in my life. God, examine my heart and see if there be any sin in me that needs to be addressed, that needs to be confessed, that needs to be forgiven. God, have your way in me. I'm going to tell you the moment you begin to do that, the moment you begin to pray simply focusing on him rather than you, it will completely change the rest of your day. Those are the kinds of prayer that open up the door to intimacy with God that brings him great, great pleasure and it reminds us of who he is. There is another way for us to reconnect with God. It's almost, I would say it's ironic that we have focused here on this issue of fasting, of not eating. And now I'm going to turn it completely around. Another way for us to reconnect with God is to actually spend time eating, specifically bread and grape juice or wine. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to participate in what's called the Lord's Supper today. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of an event that took place just before Christ was arrested and then crucified on the cross. He met with his disciples and as he met with them, he shared with them about some of the things that were going to take place. He talked about the fact that he would be rejected, that he would be arrested, he would even die. He talks about his body that would be broken and his blood that would be shed. The disciples came to follow this man because they believed that he would deliver them from the oppression of the mighty Roman government. They knew over time, in fact, Peter himself would admit, he would confess who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He wasn't just some guy. He wasn't just some rebel who would lead this great cause. They knew that he was the Messiah. But this idea that Jesus would have to be arrested, beaten, even killed, was something that none of them wanted. When they first talked about going back to Jerusalem, it was Peter who basically tried to talk Jesus out of going. You remember Jesus' response to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. It's a pretty harsh response. You just called Peter Satan. What he was doing was simply pointing out that that was the whole reason he came. Jesus came to be the sacrifice for you and for me. For every sin that would ever be committed, he came to pay the price for us. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when an individual sinned, a sacrifice was required to make up for that sin. Maybe it was an animal of some sort. Maybe it was a grain offering. But the point was that a sacrifice had to be made to make up for the sin. The problem is this. It wasn't just any sacrifice. You had to give of your best. The best that you had to offer, you offered that back to God. You couldn't take a a sick cow that was about to die and say, well, God, I'm going to give you this. It was going to die anyways. That's not a sacrifice. You had to take the best that you had. And you had to give it to God. Jesus Christ was the best that there was. As Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, he was the only one without sin. He was the one who endured the temptations that were mentioned earlier. Jesus Christ truly was the best that there was to offer. And Jesus Christ willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. As he met with his disciples, he took common, ordinary elements that were used in every meal. He took bread. Everybody ate bread with every meal, partially because it was inexpensive, partially because of the fact that uh, basically it was easy to make. Uh, It was something that was available to everybody. But he took bread and he said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you eat this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. So what he's saying here is every time you break bread, not just in a service like this where we celebrate together and everyone comes and eats bread and drinks grape juice, but every time you do this. So today at lunch, when you sit with your family and you break bread, it is an opportunity for you to remember the body of Christ that was broken for you. When you drink your grape juice today and then your Pepsi or Mountain Dew or whatever else it is that you drink. When you do that, remember my blood that was shed for you. See, it wasn't anything magical about the bread. And I know that there are some who would tell you that this bread literally is transformed into the body of Christ. That is not what I'm explaining to you today. This represents a body that was broken for you and for me. The grape juice, the wine, this represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and for me. And we're told that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Today, I want to invite you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His body that was broken and his blood that was shed. Remember the, the, the focus there with fasting? The intent is for us to simply draw nearer to God, to reconnect with him, to establish that sense of intimacy. I want to challenge you today to establish that sense of intimacy through the sacrifice of Christ. To simply imagine, to know that Jesus Christ allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for you. It's not just some historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, but he had in mind you because he loved you that much. I've often heard that the greatest way for us to understand John three sixteen is to make it somewhat about ourselves, not for God so loved the world, but for God so loved you that he would give his only begotten son That whosoever, so that you, if you would believe in him, your sins would be forgiven, that you would have everlasting life. I want to challenge you today to allow this act of communion, of the Lord's Supper, to be an opportunity for you to draw near to him, to experience the intimacy that he alone offers to us. I will tell you that as we do this act, as we participate in this act, there are some Churches that do it differently, uh, some will have this cup that you dip uh, your bread into. Sometimes you'll peel the bread off. Sometimes uh, they'll use the matza bread, which is kind of like a flat bread. I'm not sure it really matters what it looks like. Again, I'm not sure that it matters whether it's wine or grape juice. We use grape juice just because we're Wesleyans, and that's the way we are. Not sure that it matters the actual substance of it, but what it represents does matter. It represents the body of Christ that's broken for you and his blood that is shed. One last word of challenge to you. I will tell you that all are welcome at the communion table, but I want to challenge you and encourage you with this. If you're not a member of the church, you can still come. But you do need to make sure that your heart is right with God before you come. One of the very frustrating things that has happened uh, over the years is this has become a ritual as opposed to actually a celebration of what Christ has done. We're encouraged in the scripture that if we have something against a brother, or a brother has something against us, go and address it and then come back to the Lord's table. Then come back and offer your sacrifice. I want to challenge you today to examine your own heart before we participate in communion. I'm going to tell you that if you are not yet a child of God, You need to be redeemed. You need to be saved. And I know that my God is able. He wants to have that intimate relationship with you that I've been talking about all morning. He desires to offer you forgiveness. That's why his body was broken. That's why his blood was shed. I encourage you. I challenge you. Check your heart first. But If there's someone that you have a struggle with right now, Maybe you need to deal with that individual before coming forward to receive the elements of communion. Again, it's an open communion, but don't take it lightly. It's a great privilege for us to be able to celebrate this today. I'm going to pray with you this morning, and as I do, I want to pray specifically for our hearts first, and then we'll pray simply that God would work even through these elements to help remind us. And then as soon as I have said amen I'm going to invite you guys to come. I'm not going to tell you which direction to come. I'm just going to tell you, come forward as you feel led to come forward. Receive the elements. I ask you to take it back to your pews. And once everyone has received the elements, then we will all partake of them together at the same time. But let's spend a moment in prayer first. Father, we come before you today and our greatest desire is to please you, to draw near to you, to truly be intimate with you. Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to you than we ever have been before. we've talked about fasting, and we've talked about communion, and we know that they are both great tools for us to know you more intimately. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to get alone, to spend some time away from everything else, and to just draw near to you. We see, even in the passage we looked at today, that your son, Jesus Christ, did the same thing. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to, to simply realize how much we need that intimacy. Lord, this morning, We celebrate the fact that we can come boldly before your throne simply because the blood of Jesus Christ has opened up the door for us. Lord, I pray today that every person in this room would know that grace that is offered to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we participate in this act of communion to simply be willing to examine our own hearts, maybe to invite you to examine our hearts. Lord, if we're not right with you, I pray that you would make us right right now. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to confess sin that needs to be confessed. I pray that you would cause us to to hunger for you so that we could never be satisfied with just a token relationship with you. Lord, if there are changes that need to take place in our lives, I pray that you would challenge us, make us do those things. Perhaps there's a relationship today that is broken. It is not what it should be. Lord, I pray right now that you would impress upon our hearts the need to go and make things right. Lord, maybe we've wronged somebody. I pray that you would help us to be bold enough to go and to use those words that nobody wants to use. I'm sorry. Lord, I pray that you would help us as much as it is possible to live at peace with those around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to honor you in every relationship. Lord, as we participate in these elements today, we know that they're ordinary elements, but they represent something so much bigger. Help us now to simply reflect on what you did for us. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. Lord, may you be honored as we participate in these elements now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I've asked Richard to come and he and I together will serve communion. Again, you are welcome to come whenever you feel led to do so. Come forward to receive the elements of communion. Is there anyone who is unable to come forward who would like for us to bring the elements of communion to you this morning? I want to make sure everyone has that opportunity. Thank you. As Jesus partook of these elements, it seemed like an ordinary night for his disciples, but this was a special night, for this would be the last time they would be able to sit with him in this manner, at least prior to the resurrection of Christ. For them, their world would be turned upside down in the next few days, but what would happen is through that time, God would do more than overthrow the oppressive Romans. He would overthrow sin and death. Where, old death, is your sting? Where, old death, is your victory? This, basically, death has been defeated. It's because of Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate this gift that he gave us. It's not a mournful thing. I understand sometimes we look at communion because we're talking about the death of someone as a mournful thing, but this is a reason for us to celebrate. Do you know that you were destined for hell and now you're destined for heaven because of the gift of Jesus Christ we celebrate this today he gave his body he shared with his disciples every time you eat this do it in remembrance of me then he took the wine and again this is grape juice but he took the wine and he said this represents my blood that is shed for you and without the shedding of my blood there is no forgiveness of sins he said every time you drink this remember my blood that was shed for you Let's pray once more, Father, as we come before you. Lord, I pray that these elements would mean so much more to us right now. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that we could be redeemed. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I pray right now that not only in this service, but that every moment moving forward, We would live as those who have been redeemed, those who had someone else who paid an incredibly significant price so that we might be forgiven. Lord, I pray right now that you would just fill us with your spirit, and I pray that you would work in us so that we would be transformed by the sacrifice that was made. We ask these things in your name, amen. I do want to thank you for being a part of our service today. Uh, My hope is that we don't get a monsoon next Sunday as well, but I am so glad that you were here in spite of the monsoon this morning. Thank you for being a part of our service. If you would, go in peace. Uh, Don't forget the things that Derek announced on the screen earlier. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on. Look in your bulletins, all that stuff. Make good use of it. Uh, It's more than just a practice of trying to type stuff out. We want you guys to have that information. Thank you all for being with us. Go in peace.